Galatians chapter 4 and verse 15. Where then, so the Apostle Paul is speaking, this is, this is his letter, his epistle to the Galatians. And he says, where then is the blessedness ye spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, ye would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you, that ye might affect them. But it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Jesus be formed in you. I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. Amen. May the Lord bless to us this reading from his word. There was a time not long before Paul wrote this epistle when the believers in Galatia had professed a love for the Lord Jesus Christ and testified to possessing a deep and sincere blessedness. They were able to say that they had been blessed under the ministry of the Apostle Paul. They had had a response of happiness and joy to the gospel Paul had preached amongst them. They had received the gospel, the gospel of free grace, and embraced it joyfully. And as Paul had preached to them, they had uh, become aware of their sin, they had been convicted of sin, they saw themselves to be debtors to God under the law, and they realised the perilous state of their eternal souls. These were men and women who had been brought under the sound of the gospel and it had been applied efficaciously to their hearts and souls. Paul had not come to preach damnation under the law, but new life in Jesus Christ. And the apostle introduced them to the Saviour in his message. He preached Jesus Christ and he preached Christ crucified. He preached justification without works. He preached reconciliation by the blood of Jesus Christ and a full free salvation for the cleansing of their soul, the purifying of their heart and the purging of their conscience. Paul was faithful to his calling and that message that he preached had been blessed to the hearts and to the testimony of these brothers and sisters in Galatia. They had all been taught of God. They had been taught with spiritual light they embraced the Saviour in conversion 
and evidently enjoyed a confident assurance of divine righteousness. They acknowledged the privilege of having heard the gospel truth from the lips of the apostle. And they told him that it had made them happy. And this was none other than the simplicity that is in Christ. What Paul had preached to them was the pure gospel, the gospel of <laughs> liberty and freedom that comes with a knowledge of imputed righteousness. And all this was true. It was all a matter of record and experience. It had been the personal testimony of the churches in Galatia. But now something was wrong. Now they were being beguiled to give all this up, all that happiness, all that blessedness that they had spoken of for the weak and beggarly elements of ritual and ceremony and human works and the religious self-righteousness that leads to bondage. And it already appeared clear to the Apostle Paul that they had lost their sense of the blessedness that they had exhibited and professed to him in his presence. And that was all the more surprising to Paul because of the vehemence, the forcefulness with which they had professed faith in the beginning. They had professed their faith in the gospel. And it seems to the apostle that such was their fervour for the truth, their commitment to the gospel and their dedication to the cause of Christ, that they would have done anything to promote and to encourage and to support the gospel that the apostle preached. Even, he says, to the giving of their own eyes. We might say today, uh, to the laying down of their own lives. But the Apostle speaks about their eyes. And I don't know why he used that particular uh, picture. Um, it, it's interesting. It may just be that, that you know eyes are very sensitive and very precious. Uh, there is a suggestion also, and I don't know whether we want to put over much weight in it, but you will have noticed that the Apostle had spoken uh, a little bit earlier, just in the... Um, in the previous verse, actually, to which we read, he said, My temptation which was in my flesh, mm -hmm. ye despised not, nor rejected. And it has been suggested that this may have been the thorn in the apostle's flesh. Whether that's right or wrong, we just don't know. But if it was the fact that the apostle had some eye disease, some eye infection. And, and the, the, the Galatians here appreciated the difficulty that he had in his ministry, in his going about his business, in his travels, in his reading, in his writing. Then they had so much been affected by the apostles' ministry that they said we, we would have been willing uh, even to pluck out our own eyes and give them to you such was the value that we placed upon the gospel. Such was the blessedness that we had enjoyed. So he says, where is then the blessedness ye speak of? 
For I bear you record that if it had been possible, ye would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. Such was the, 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 the value and affection that you placed upon this word. And so the apostle here is, is earnestly speaking uh, to, to, to these people with uh, these words. And he's concerned because now they seem to have cooled considerably towards the apostle at the instigation of these Judaizers that had come amongst them. So much so that the apostle asks them, am I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And we remind ourselves, the truth of which the apostle is speaking here is the truth that he had preached in their immediate presence. You remember we said that these, the, the, um, the letter is addressed to the churches of Galatia. So it was probably little congregations dotted around the region of Galatia to which, into which Paul had come in his ministry, his missionary journeys, and where he had preached and established these little churches um, or discovered believers that were there and, and helped form them together as churches. But but what he had done there was, having come and preached in their presence, when he came into their towns and their cities and preached the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to them, now once again, he was having to restate and redeclare in this letter the truth that he had once preached to them. He preached it once and now he was coming back to the same truths. And we've been reading about them in Galatians 1 and 2 and 3. And he's going to go on still in chapter 4. We're about to encounter a a, a lovely analogy uh, by which we will see the apostle once again re-emphasizing the nature of the gospel especially in the context of uh, legalism and, and, and the role of the law. But, but here he says, um, I, I have to repeat this. I'm going to have to re-emphasize this to you again. This truth, the covenant of grace, the sacrifice that formed the foundation of God's way of salvation. And he declared the peace of God. He declared the promise of God. He declared the gospel of God. He declared righteousness imputed without works and the wonderful gift of faith by which all the rich blessings of salvation are received and enjoyed. He preached the truth of Jesus Christ, who is himself the truth. That is, Christ crucified for the remission of sins, risen for the justification of sinners and ascended into glory there to intercede on behalf of his people. He preached salvation, liberty and the deliverance of sinners from hell and judgment. And having preached these glorious truths to his his, his congregation, his audience, his friends and his brothers and sisters in the faith, was he now their enemy? for having declared these glorious truths to them. So here the Apostle then returns to the the damaging and detrimental effect that these troublesome teachers, these false apostles, were having on the Galatians. 
and he doesn't name individuals. And that's probably a wise thing in, in his letter. He doesn't name individuals, perhaps because they were unworthy of any consideration beyond the fact that uh, he would expose and contradict their heresies. But he does say that these people were zealous. They were enthusiastic, even fanatical in their efforts amongst the Galatians. These were busy people trying to gain the ear and the attention with some success of the Galatian churches. And as I was thinking about it, I thought that there's a lesson here for us all. Because I think that just in the nature of things, sometimes we become distracted by activity and busyness so that we're tempted to overlook error for the sake of zeal. And maybe we hear of a church doing lots of outreach over here and we feel that that's an admirable effort. Or we encounter an organisation that's building bridges over there that seems to be a useful labour. Or a missionary work that is apparently making inroads into a previously inaccessible place. And we're tempted to bid them Godspeed on account of their zeal without questioning the message that they're preaching, without questioning the gospel that they carry with them. Or sometimes we hear about a believer joining this church or that church, and although we know that it preaches a false gospel, a gospel of works and free will, we don't say anything because we're just happy to hear that the person is going somewhere. Now, I'm not advocating that we go around with a critical spirit finding fault anywhere we can. I'm simply pointing out what Paul is pointing out here. Zeal is no substitute for truth. The Judaizers were zealous, but they were zealous in an unholy cause. The important principle was the essential nature of the gospel. And I think we can put up with a lot of things if the heart of the gospel is there in a congregation or perhaps we might say more particularly in a pulpit. But we can't put up with anything if the gospel isn't present. And Paul was not willing to allow these infiltrators a free hand when he knew that it wouldn't turn out well for the spiritual well-being of his friends. He knew that works religion brings men and women into spiritual bondage and into fear. And I think that we are entitled to ask pertinent questions of each other and of any professing brother and sister who opens themselves to error by forgoing the simplicity of Christ when they have been taught better. And we have good reason to believe that they know better, as Paul did with these Galatians. It's the easiest thing in the world to fall into religious formalism 
and the devil is delighted when we do. If these Galatians who'd been taught firsthand by an apostle could make such a mistake as to tolerate the false gospel of works righteousness, then which one of us is above temptation? Now, zeal is good when it is focused and directed in a good thing. But zeal in a bad thing is dangerous. And we probably all have personal experience of misplaced zeal. And we know how enticing it can be. People get meticulous about details and painstaking about form and practice. And then, as that develops, they become exclusive of anyone who doesn't sign up to their particular system and follow their own pattern. And by such methods, denominations come into being. And division and barriers get raised amongst the family of God, amongst true believers. Paul's zeal was for the gospel, and that was good. And it necessitated him contending for the truth and fighting for the spiritual safety and the well-being of his friends. It justified him exposing inappropriate zeal on the part of these false teachers who, though active and enthusiastic about their own doctrines, were damaging the Galatian churches and corrupting the faith once delivered to the saints. They were tarnishing the reputation of the gospel. And error and heresy can readily be disguised as zeal. And we shouldn't be deceived as the Galatians appear to have been. And there's another aspect to this as well. We all ought to be able to give a reason for the hope that is within us. Peter says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. We're, we're not to do it pompously. We're not to do it uh, with, with, with any pride or that we're better than you. With meekness and fear. But it, it's important that we're able to give a reason for the hope that we have. And, and this means that we ought to be able to explain something of that hope. The hope that we have in Christ with a degree of certainty and a degree of conviction. A taught people is what we should be and not easily swayed by the next new idea or the latest religious novelty that happens to come along. These Galatians were 100% behind Paul when he was amongst them. But now he being gone from them, they seemed to be amenable to whoever came along next. And this suggests a lack of depth in spiritual understanding, an immaturity on their part. And individuals and congregations can be like this. I sometimes wonder how can a people listen to a free grace preacher and relish the ministry that he preaches amongst them, sometimes for years, 
and then quickly revert to listening to a legal duty gospel when the old preacher dies or moves on. And we look sometimes, we look on and we wonder how these things can be. The final couple of verses that we have in our passage today convey a pathos, an anguish in the Apostle's mind, I think, that perhaps all not all was not what it seemed with the Galatians. Paul's words, my little children, suggests both that Paul feels a personal affection and a parental obligation for the Galatians, but also that he perceives a need for them to be retaught the first principles of the gospel, a task that he is willing uh, to fulfil himself. He had hoped better of them, and yet their foolishness in this matter of allowing the gospel among them to be subverted made him question how deeply they had grasped his message. And he longs that he might be able to come among them again in order to meet their need head on with a voice that is suitable to the trouble of the day. And sometimes a preacher has to change his voice and his emphasis, though a gospel preacher never changes his message. These brethren wanted to hear the law. Really? They wanted to go back to the law? Is that really what they wanted to hear? Then Paul would come amongst them and preach the law. And if he did, it would not be as a means of salvation or a vehicle of grace, but that they might once again be caused to tremble in their souls and once more flee to the gospel for peace. These people had looked over their shoulder. They had looked back at where they had come. They were a little bit like Lot's wife, hearkening for something that was done. The apostle says that he longs to come amongst them to preach once again to them, that they might have a clear sight of Jesus Christ and a clear appreciation of the gospel. I think we're blessed, brothers and sisters, to have such an epistle as this before us. And as I've said before, and let me just repeat in closing, we sometimes think, how could the Galatians do this to the Apostle? How could they do it to the Lord Jesus Christ? But we are blessed that even the failures and failings of these brothers and sisters in Christ were the cause and the reason for Paul writing as clearly as he did this wonderful gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the weakness of the Galatians is our blessing even today. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us. Amen. Amen.